Nation Draft Day, your one-stop spot for all things NFL Draft. Michael Rockman here, joined by Nick Durst. Happy Friday, everyone. Nick, how are you doing? Michael, doing uh, doing well here. Always like the Friday shows, very close to the weekend here. Uh, but we have some NFL news, which is going to impact the draft. We've been hearing all along, oh, Orlando Brown is going to be on the move from the Ravens, and it's finally happened. So Kansas City is trading Orlando Brown, or Kansas City is trading for Orlando Brown. They're also getting the 2021 from the Ravens as well as a 2022 sixth-round pick, and Baltimore is getting the 2021 first-round Chiefs, 31st pick overall, the third-round pick, in the draft, the fourth round pick of this draft, the 2022 fifth round pick. So Kansas City gets what they need. They need a good uh, offensive tackle there, which was an issue uh, in the Super Bowl, as we saw. And Baltimore, they were just steadfast on wanting to get rid of Orlando Brown. I'm not sure if they got the best value that they could have, but if they wanted to get into this draft, it's probably the best they're able to do at this point, Michael. Yeah. Orlando Brown wanted out. He wanted a place that he could play left tackle. The scheme fit is a little bit questionable, I guess, in terms of, you know, this was a power running team. And now Kansas City has now brought him into what is a shotgun heavy pass sets, deep downfield passing type offense. Orlando Brown, though, is very talented and should be able to bring in plenty of blocking opportunity for Patrick Mahomes. And as you know, give him a little bit of opportunity. He's going to definitely make some plays during the process. So I like the trade for both sides. You know, the Chiefs are very clear that they are going to be all in in this window of Patrick Mahomes, you know, whether it's one-year rentals or whether it's bringing in young pieces that can be long-term assets. They are definitely all in to do it. And, you know, for that reason, I think that Orlando Brown will find his way into Kansas City fairly well and, while maybe the scheme fit is a question mark, I still think the talent is very much there, and Kansas City Chiefs are just as dangerous as they were before. Yeah, certainly they're going to be a contender, so we will see what happens. Uh, in unsurprising news, the Browns exercised the fifth-year option on Baker Mayfield. No shocker there. Browns have a good chance to maybe one of the teams that can potentially come out of the AFC this year, depending on what they do, and there's going to be 13 players attending the draft next week in Cleveland. So we have Mac Jones from Alabama, Trey Lance from North Dakota State, Zach Wilson from BYU, Jamar Chase from LSU, Devonta Smith from Alabama, Jalen Waddell from Alabama, Kyle Pitts from Florida, Sean Slater from Northwestern, Christian Barrymore from Alabama, Gregory Rousseau from Miami, Michael Parsons from Penn State, Caleb Farley from Virginia Tech, and Patrick Sertan, the second from Alabama. And this draft is in Cleveland, as we mentioned. I don't know if they're doing it by the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. We'll see any people are allowed to be out there to congregate. Uh, Nashville a few years ago was crazy. It's going to be in Las Vegas next year. To you, Michael, you're just a draft purist. So do you, do you care at all if there's fans there or – if it's in a on location or to you, does it does it not really matter or add to your your like likeness of watching the draft? I think it's always great when fans are able to be there, but obviously, you know, you want to take as many safety precautions as possible. In a situation like this, if 
they deem that, you know, there's going to be some fans there. It's always fun. It's fun to see the Eagles just get angry no matter what. It's fun to see Roger Goodell get booed every pick. It's it's definitely a better experience with fans there, but at the same time, I I am there to see the picks mostly. So if there isn't fans, it's not like I'm not going to be able to enjoy it. Yeah, I always liked when the draft was uh, at Radio City, uh, but probably will not be back there for a long time. They're going to keep moving things around, and you know, I guess it's good for the game to get to get to all these different cities. Uh, but at least we don't have to see the, as many people this year in the in the green room waiting because I always hated when there's no general re- reactions uh, because it's just like you see them on the phone. And they're going to announce the pick, and I walk up on the stage. So I wish everything would be more of a surprise, but that's not the way things are is any or in, in the world of media. Yeah, and you know I think that there is a chance with based on what the rumors are, Gregory Rousseau could be the last guy sitting in that green room. And you know, with thirteen guys, I feel like it's going to empty out a lot quicker. It's going to feel a lot more spacious. So Rousseau <laughs> could potentially be in for a long night. And potentially a second night if the rumors are true. And, you know, today we're talking about all things defensive backs. And we brought in someone that we are extremely happy to have on the show, Eric Crocker. We're bringing him in now. Eric, thank you so much for joining us today. We're ready to talk about all things defensive backs. If you don't know who Eric Crocker is, he is an analyst on Twitter. He is a former professional football player himself, whether it's with the New York Jets or in Arena Football League. He was definitely well experienced in this field and he is ready to talk about it today eric how's your friday going oh going good busy morning but uh i'm excited to talk some football now absolutely we were talking about the orlando brown trade with kansas state chiefs real quick we just want to get your thoughts on it and what you think this does for you know the Chiefs super team that they somehow managed to continue building and also just for the ravens now with that hole at right tackle you know, um, as somebody that, you know, cheers for and covers uh, the 49ers, I'm just excited that the Chiefs are in the AFC and 49ers play them. It won't be into the Super Bowl and we'll kind of deal with them then. So, um, you know, they've kind of reloaded that offensive line. That was definitely their weak spot in the Super Bowl, you know, that we just watched. And most of it due to an opt-out and some injuries. But just the fact that they were able to kind of revamp and make that a strength so quickly – that that's scary, man. That's scary. Kudos to to Andy Reid, man. He's a big swinger. I like how he does. I like how he uh, does business. Absolutely. And before we end this show, we're gonna be talking to you about the 49ers and that pick at number three that I'm sure you just are are tired of hearing about. But first and foremost, we want to talk about the cornerbacks. We're gonna first talk about my top five. Then we'll get a little analysis from you on each guy. Then we'll talk about both your guys' rankings as well. So let's dive right into it. And at cornerback number five. We got Greg Newsom the second out of Northwestern, a lanky six foot, one hundred ninety-two pound corner, twenty-one years old, just turned twenty-one. He is very young. I love his tracking ability. I think that he is definitely one of those guys that is smooth technician, works around the field very well. Whether you need him in man or zone, I think he has the processing IQ to do it. And I think with his athleticism at his pro day, I am now completely sold on Newsom. I think I had some questions about his overall quickness, foot speed. But then he put all those concerns to rest. My comparison for him is Drake Kirkpatrick, a corner that I think was underrated during his time in the NFL. I think you're going to hear Greg Newsom's name on day one. I think it could be as early as, you know, that Arizona pick at 16, potentially even higher if a team is sold on him. 
definitely an intelligent guy, and I think he's going to really impress some teams in the interview process that could potentially move his stock up a little higher than expected. For some question marks, you know, he has limited starts, limited playtime. The inexperience could be an issue for that initial jump to the NFL. I think that he gives up a little bit of space underneath, but, you know, that's most likely more of a scheme thing for Northwestern. And the durability concerns, he has missed some time due to injury. There will be question marks about that. And as long as he can stay healthy, though, I think Newsom is a guy that is going to be a very dependable starter at the NFL level and should be someone that teams are very excited to bring in. Eric, I want to get your thoughts on Greg Newsom and what you think his projection is at the NFL level. Oh, man. Um, I like him a lot. Uh, he was probably, you know, just watching film. I thought that he had the overall best film of the cornerbacks that I watched. Just from a, a scheme versatility standpoint, you know, most guys, they're they're better at one thing than the other, right? Like maybe they're just a pure press man guy and they're better at that. Or maybe they are, uh, you know, better at off coverage. I thought he was just as good in press as he was in off. And I thought, you know, the Northwestern uh, defensive scheme really was able to kind of showcase and highlight that. I thought from off coverage, he did a tremendous job being able to play with his feet in space and react to, you know, double moves and be able to transition in and out of his breaks from that standpoint. I thought that was great. Um, I thought he was uh, did a really good job of contesting passes at the catch point. Um you know, I thought in press coverage, he was really good. Showed nice fluidity, showed nice scrappiness. I thought he played with a lot of confidence, a lot of swagger. And kind of watching him, when I'm watching him, and, and this is what I do, like, as I'm watching film, like, I don't look at, like, height or weight or anything like that. So I have no idea what his size was. I'm like, dang, this looks like Jair Alexander, like, you know, 5'10", 190-pound corner, like, kind of in that range. Um, I thought he moved extremely well. Like, so that's a – saying somebody looks smaller – is actually a great compliment because that means that they they play with a nice, fluid, quick feet, you know, twitchy and that type of thing. Then he measures in at his pro day. This is the first time I see anything about his measurements. I'm like, wow, six foot, 192 pounds. So right. we're talking about somebody that moves and plays like Jair, Jair Alexander, but in a bigger body frame. And I so that was something that I was really high on with him. Again, that overall, from a scheme, schematic standpoint, I thought he's probably the most versatile corner in this class. And yeah, there, there was a, a lot to like about him. As you can tell, I'm, I'm really high on him. Now, the the one thing I don't know, and you guys kind of mentioned it, uh, is, you know, the 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 inexperience. And I think a lot of the inexperience was due to health. And you guys also, you know, mentioned that durability, right? Can he stay healthy? So that, that's going to be the biggest question mark. I don't know much about the medical side of things, but when I look at the film, I'm like, yeah, there's not too many guys that have better film than, than what I'm seeing on this. Matter of fact, it was my favorite film out of everybody I watched. So, Absolutely. Yeah, Newsom's oh, biggest knock, really, is that we just didn't see enough of him this past year. But he, he only had 11, 12 catches on 34 targets for 93 yards. Uh, yeah. With the Big Ten's shortened schedule, uh, you know, that came on 223 coverage snaps. And like you said, Eric, great feat. Uh, definitely seems like a guy that you could plug into any scheme in the, in the National Football League. And I just want to make it known, you know, health, I'm not a guy that knows the medicals either, so I, I don't influence it into my rankings, but it is a concern that I'll, I'll list if I think the NFL may worry about it. But we talked about his versatility. Do you think that the inexperience will have issues early, or do you think working in a passive Gerald defense that, you know, incorporates so many disguise schemes, so many – NFL-style pro-defensive concepts that he could be one of the more pro-ready cornerbacks out of the gates? 
Yeah, I, I don't think it'll hurt him too much. I think he he can come in and, and play right away. Cornerback is one of those positions, especially if they were if they asked a lot of them, like they used him in a lot of different ways, whether it was zone, whether it was press. So just kind of being in a scheme that you know allowed him to do more than just one thing or just do just straight man stuff or man match, I think that's actually gonna benefit him. Absolutely. And you know, your comparison that you gave for him, Jair Alexander, I hate that you said it because that's my comparison for my cornerback for another guy that looks small on tape and actually is small. Asante Samuel Jr., 5'10, 180 pounds, 21 years old, cornerback out of Florida State, eight games played, three interceptions. Look, the Jair Alexander comp is definitely a high bar to set on him, but I just absolutely love his tape. He moves around the field extremely well with aggressive play. I think that's an issue in the same regard. You know, sometimes he has some pass interference issues, sometimes he uses his hands a little too physically and it gets him in trouble but i think overall he shows plenty of ball skills he's great at closing the catch window despite his size i think he gets up very well on the receiver and that's one of the big things that a lot of people are quick to say oh 510 he needs to go inside but when you are able to play as a physical corner when you're able to close out that ball window or that catch window even though you know you are undersized it's absolutely huge for your success he's not the short arms type guy 30 inch arms i think is fine you know, the big question is, can he improve as a tackler? You know, will his frame become an issue? I think whether you want him on the inside or outside, he's going to succeed. But I do think that for Asante Samuel Jr., I view him as an outside corner. And I think at the NFL level, he will absolutely prove that. Eric, Michael, how do you, how do you, how do you not have Asante Samuel's Jr.'s pro player comp, Asante Samuel Sr.? <laughs> I mean, both guys undersized for position, both, both 5'10, but. There's not much else in Samuel's game you could poke holes in. Uh, he started for three years. He's seen his coverage grades improve every year, and he he only had 179 yards in coverage last season. So I don't think you need to read too much into into his size here. Eric, what are your thoughts on him? Yeah, that's another guy that I really liked. And you know, the first game I put on was 2019 Clemson, and it was like the first play he got bombed on. They threw a jump ball to T Higgins, and he jumped over him, caught the ball. The very next play, they did like this little fake screen and release play where um, I think it was to Ross, and then he caught the ball downfield. And I'm like, oh, everybody tell me about this Asante Samuel Jr. guy, but I don't know, right? Um, but, you know, obviously I continued watching. And from that game, it, there was a lot of, I don't want to say negatives that I took away from it, but I'm just like, okay, just pure field corner. They only use him to the field, not to the boundary at all. Um, when they did go man coverage and man press, they put him in the slot. And then when they got inside the 10, they were taking them out. So I'm like, man, I think everything that they're telling me with this guy is he's just more like a nickel. But I continue to watch games. I watch more games. I watch 2020 tape. And I'm like, oh, no, he's much more than a nickel. I thought he did a, a tremendous job being able to, you know, um, compete and you know at the catch point, which you brought up. So, you know, from that standpoint, especially if you're somebody that's smaller, I just, like, I, I, I let the film do the talking for me. So I, I don't care that you're 5'10", 180. I just want to know, how do you play? So if you if you are attacking the ball at its highest point and knocking passes away, then I don't have those issues with your lack of height if you're competing at that level. Because I'll tell you this, you know, okay, I, I saw him give up the deep ball to T. Higgins, and some people might say, well, it's because he's only five ten. But I've seen, you know, I've seen uh, um, Patrick Sertain give up deep balls at the catch point. I've seen Tyson Campbell give up the the balls downfield at the catch point, you know? So it's like, well, is it an issue 
for them, like, is the height is that the issue? No, those guys are six one, six two. So why is it an issue for the five ten guy if I've seen him give up the same thing as them, but also make plays at the catch point? So I'm not one to use his height uh, against him. I think he was scrappy. I think he played well. I think again, another guy who really showed consistency to be able to play off, and I, I really value that. I really value the ability to not only play press and work from that way, but also um, play in a bail. I think he does that very well, being able to reroute down and break that down and break up passes, challenge himself that way. I think he did a tremendous job being able to play off coverage and be square and be out in space. And there's guys that sometimes have to play with anticipation. I thought he was a guy who, okay, if I'm not anticipating on this play, my feet still do all the work for me and put me in position to be able to make a play on the ball. And I thought from that standpoint, he was really good. So I do think he has the versatility to be able to play in the nickel. I thought he was probably the best tackling cornerback in this class. And obviously he, I think he has really good coverage skills as well. So um, there's a lot to like. About the grabby, I, I know you put grabby. I don't mind that as much because, I mean, you know, make make the refs call it, you know. <laughs> um, I think all these guys can be grabby at times, right? J.C. Horn. Patrick Sertain was grabby a good amount. Um, shoot, Greg Newsom. I think every game I watched, I saw him get a flag thrown on him. So, you know, it, it's if it, 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 it happens, it happens. But, you know, I, I like them to be aggressive. Make the refs call it. If the refs keep calling it, then, okay, we'll adjust from there. So I thought overall I, I really liked a lot of his ability. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the best things I liked about him was his overall foot speed. But there are plenty of fast corners in this class. This guy – that I have at cornerback three is another fast guy. Maybe not as fast as his counterpart, Eric Stokes, but cornerback three, Tyson Campbell out of Georgia, a guy that I'm higher on compared to the consensus, 6'1", 193 pounds. I compare him to William Jackson. I love his length, 32-inch arms. He's aggressive. I think he's one of the more impressive physical corners, and I think right now with his current frame, he's lanky. I think he can grow into that and become one of the better, strong corners in this league. I think he's going to go day two. I understand that the draft stock for him isn't as high as some of the other corners in this class. Probably a lock to be around two, maybe early round three if things don't work out entirely. Five pass deflections over the year. Did really well going against SEC receivers week to week. The biggest issue I have for him is playing the boundary, and I think that's just something that happens, you know, especially in that Florida game. He gave up two big touchdowns. The biggest issue is just trying to make sure that they can't position themselves to really go up and make those highlight catches, and he gave it up twice. And it's something that needs to be worked on, but I think there's just so much potential from snap to snap that has me extremely high on Tyson Campbell. Uh, for most of the season, he was my cornerback one. I was slow to watch J.C. Horn, so that's probably why, you know, these these things weren't necessarily set in stone. But, you know, Tyson Campbell someone that round two, if I'm looking for a starting corner, I'm comfortable taking him and being happy about it because I think that there's so much talent here and potential to be something special. Yeah, Tyson Campbell, well, well, the first thing I want to kind of say is you have him at CB3. So that means that either Farley, Horn, or Sertain are not – one of those guys are not in your top five. So I, I, I say, the one that's snubbed is number six. I'm not low on them. I, I'm just high on these guys. On these okay. Guys. Um, <laughs> so Tyson Campbell, no, watching him, and I kind of tweeted this out the other day, said between Tyson Campbell and – Patrick Sertain, those are two of the most uh, patient cornerbacks at the line of scrimmage that I've ever seen. I think the ability to really trust your, your technique, to trust your feet, I think that's a special thing. A lot of guys kind of get sped up mentally, 
and they start to kind of like when your clock gets sped up, your technique kind of goes out the window, and now you're just reacting to everything. They did a really good job of not creating space for guys at the line of scrimmage and really being able to play with their feet to get in position to get hands on. Tremendous job. I think that was probably like his biggest strength. I think he does a good job of being able to play in, you know, different kind of coverages, read guys down from off, read guys down from press. I think he's scrappy. I think he, um, again, another guy that plays with like a lot of confidence, a lot of swagger. You know, we watched him against Alabama, and I think that performance for the most part was kind of up and down. Um, that probably was like statistically his worst game. But to me, I saw a lot of what I really like, right? Like people will look at the results and, oh, well, he gave up this catch. He gave up that catch. Oh, they gave up the long touchdown to to uh, 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 Jalen Waddle. But the way I see it is, dude, all those catches, he was making guys work. He was making them work. And we're talking about special guys, right? We're talking about Jalen Waddle. We're talking about uh, uh, Devontae Smith, you know, making Devontae Smith work back through contact. Like, like that, that's not something that's easy to do, you know, and as a corner, my thing is, are you letting guys just play pitch and catch or are you making guys work for every inch, every yard? And if you make guys work and they just beat you on that play, then good job to them. But I want to see, are you in position to make plays? And I thought a lot of times he was, you talked about the Florida game where he gave up the, the touchdown down the sideline to Kyle Pitts. He gave a touchdown down the sideline to uh, Grimes. You know, both guys were talking about six foot four, six foot six, you know, between the two guys. And I even though I thought really good technique at the line of scrimmage, got in phase, went to play the ball at his highest point. Damn, they came down with the play, with the catch. But I want to see, do, do you have the skills to be in position to make the play? And then, all right, like, you're going to lose some. You're going to lose some to Kyle Pitts. Let's just not, you know, I don't want that to be something that continuously happens. And every game I saw, he was he was really being very aggressive, contesting everything. Um, you know, CB3, de- definitely high, but I'm not mad at that at all because I do think that he's really good. You talked about him possibly going in that second round or whatnot. If he's there at pick 43, my 49ers better take. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, we kind of already leaked who would be cornerback one, so I'm sure you're wondering who's cornerback two. Patrick Sertan, the second. I'm sorry to Kayla Fairley. You know, he's very talented, very fast-footed and everything, but he was cornerback six. But for Sertan, you know, Sertan, sorry, there's just so much talent here. 6'2", 208 pounds, 21 years old, just turned 21. Young corner with great length. He's a smooth mover, and I think that's one of the things you already talked about a little bit. He's very patient at the line of scrimmage, and I think it's definitely something that's going to help him out. He was talking about playing in that star role for the Alabama defense, and I think that just projects how well a versatile athlete he is. You know, whether you need to play in that safety role or the cornerback role, I think he's going to be able to fill in. Obviously, he's going to be predominantly outside corner, but I think there's plenty of potential here to where if you need to move him around for a player or two, he's going to be fine. I think some of the issues are, you know, you talked about it again earlier, was just getting some of those penalties out of the way. He had some of those pass interference calls that maybe weren't the best in that 2019 season. He opens his hips a little early, and I think that's something that, you know, probably just favors into the scheme that Alabama had him running. They really had him covering deep zone, and I think that's how he's going to really be used in that type of NFL type defense with that press bail type situation. I think improving his play strength, just getting a little bit stronger on his punches at the line of scrimmage would be absolutely huge. But Nick, you know, I think one of the greatest things about Sertain, or Sertain, sorry, I keep saying that, is 
the nickname possibility ps2 i mean playstation 2 absolutely <laughs> goaded console where would it rank in your nickname uh category just for the ps2 nickname alone yeah I mean, it's not bad, except the fact that that means he's three times past that. And probably when PS2 came out, he wasn't born. So I don't know. I don't know if that's going to work. <laughs> uh, you know, I think the best nickname is in basketball, given to this gentleman by Jimmy Kimmel, who made him change his uh, number. And that's PG-13, Paul George. He used to be some other number. And Jimmy Kimmel said, why don't you just become number 13? And then the next season he did. Uh, but hey, I mean, there's a lot of good nicknames out there. Uh, but kind of ironic if a guy is going to be called a nickname for uh, something that didn't exist when he was born, or th- something that was or was existing before he was born. Anyway, Eric, what are your thoughts on certain uh, certain thirty-two inch, thirty-two and a half inch arms, lengthy corner, definitely covers a lot of field. What are your thoughts on him and overall takeaways? Yeah, no, definitely he he is, you know, you talked about him being a fluid mover. Um, you know, that's something that you you definitely like to see with guys. Like he's not like this big stiff guy. Um, a lot of people had questions about, you know, his vertical speed. And I'm like, no, his vertical speed is fine. That's not the issue there. And, and I think continuously he showed that he can definitely run with guys and compete at the catch point with the best of them. Uh, gave up some, but also made a bunch of plays on the ball downfield. And, you're, you you know, when you're playing in the SEC, you're going to give up some stuff. Like, it's not a – you know, every week you're going against guys that are probably going to be playing in the NFL. So, you know, it's just a little bit tougher from that standpoint. I, I would say in, – and I already touched on this technique, you know, which I think is pretty much, like, as good as I've seen. I'd say the biggest issue is when people thought they were seeing somebody that was slow or couldn't run vertically, what they were really seeing was somebody that lacks twitch and lacks, lacks suddenness. And, you know, I think from that standpoint, that's where, you know, that's hard to change. So how how good, you know, at the next level, I, I think he'd be fine because the technique is so good. But if he gets into a situation where this receiver is challenging his movement skills, that it, it might be a long day. You know, I watched him from off coverage. And, you know, you could just see guys like being able to turn him around. You could see he doesn't really challenge himself from that standpoint to consistently uh, you know, feel and sit sit down on routes from off coverage, you know, from a bell. Uh, you know, there was th- things like that where I'm like, okay, in space he might have a little bit of trouble um, unless it's like a cover two. I think cover two he's fine. He, he does a really good job of reading through one to two, being able to kind of sink and then rally down to make tackles, and I think he's aggressive from that standpoint. But just overall, I'd say the biggest issue, and we're nitpicking here because he's one of the top guys in this in, in this class. So when, when you get to the top, you know, you have to start kind of nitpicking a little bit. I thought he could be a little bit more sudden and twitchy, which a lot of times you're not going to get that from somebody six foot two, 208 pounds. So um, overall, really like him. Have no issues with him being see, uh, the second corner in your uh, class. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you touched on it very well. I think, you know, we saw Okuda last year have his issues when trying to work against uh, Stephon Diggs where he just kind of got put into a, a spin cycle. And I think that could happen if you're trying to have this guy play man and track people all the way across the field. Some of the better receivers are going to make him look a little foolish early. But I do think, you know, if you keep him in this scheme that kind of helps him just work more vertically than it is across the field, showing that shiftiness, and I think he's going to be perfectly fine. He's going to have some success early. But now cornerback one, J.C. Horn out of South Carolina. I'm a huge fan of him. 6'1", 205 
pounds, 33-inch arms, played in third – or I think these are certain stats, so apologies to that, but played in plenty of games with some great timing. And I think one of the biggest things that you can see out of him is just the overall ability to mirror. And he's a physical corner, but he's also someone that I think has the shiftiness to be able to kind of maybe – shake the overall concerns that are out there right now on his aggressive play. I think a lot of people are overstating just how much he depends on it. I think he's very much a fluid mover and he's going to be able to handle it against Florida. He was covering Kyle Pitts some snaps and he was doing very well. I think it's just something that, you know, if you need him to match up size wise against some of these tight ends in the NFL that are taking over, he, I think he's going to be perfectly fine doing it. But at the same time, if you need him to go against one of the top wide receivers in the league, I think he's going to be perfectly fine doing that as well. You know, probably some growth process, maybe has some issues out the gates, but I think in terms of just overall flashes of just special coverage ability, man, zone, whatever you need him to do, he is going to be special. I compare him to Desmond Trufant, who I think was underrated during his time in the NFL and someone that really at one point in his peak, I think was a top five corner in the NFL. I think Horn is going to be very similar. I think, You know, there are concerns about his overall tackling, maybe overall, you know, just that aggressive play. And if a wide receiver takes advantage of it, then he could be left behind trying to recover more so than cover. But still, there's just so much to like about J.C. Horn. And I'd love to get your guys' thoughts as well. Yeah, he's definitely my my, my favorite corner in this class. And, you know, you talk about, like, a lot of things that he brings, right? Like, he isn't maybe the most – technically refined corner in this class, but he played with just a different level of scrappiness. And a lot of times, even with that, whether, you know, his technique wasn't perfect and maybe he took a false step or whatever, or maybe he did have great coverage, but he, I mean, uh, technique, but a lot of times he put himself in position to be able, be able to make a play on the ball at the catch point. I think he did a trem- tremendous job of that. I think he did a really good job of challenging himself. You know, there are some guys that just like, well, I'm comfortable doing this, so I'm just going to sit here on the outside or on this side. He took on challenges of guarding opposing teams, wide receiver ones, guarding even smaller guys like, you know, Elijah Moore, guarding Elijah Moore in the slot. Like, you know, as somebody as somebody that's 6'1", 205 pounds, that's a, that's a tough matchup for you, right? Being able to guard that smaller, quicker, shiftier guy in space, in the slot. And he took on that challenge. Now he gave up 70, I mean, he gave up seven catches in two games against them, but for like 40 yards. So we're talking about like a speedster, somebody that's known for speed and you're playing him in space. And he only has seven or he has seven catches, but for only 40 yards against you. So he's averaging like, I don't know, was that six yards a, a, a catch? Like that's a tremendous job. And I just, I love the way he challenges himself. I loved he, the way he went out and was like, all right, Seth Williams, that's their best receiver. All right, I'm going to guard him all game. Now you see the good and the bad with that, right? Like the the first play that he gave up to, or the only play that he gave up to uh, Seth Williams, I think he got targeted nine times and broke up eight of the passes, um, picked off two of them. So um, the, the one time uh, it was early in the game where he was off coverage and he kind of like, I don't know what he was doing, like whether he fell asleep or I, I don't know. But he gave up a, like a 40-yard catch is at the very beginning of the game. And then from there, it was just like, all right, let me stop playing with this dude. He was locked in from that point. And I think from there, he did a tremendous job of just like blanking this guy. And it's like, wherever you line up, I'm going, I'm just going to shut you out. And, I mean, you just saw the confidence, the swagger, the ability. I saw other plays in there where he was able to challenge himself in space. There's a lot of people that talk about, well, you know, he 
he's not, he's he's kind of stiff. Or, and it's like, no, dude, like, look at this play right here. Like, you see the twitch, you see the suddenness, like, where he's challenging himself in space versus stack, d- does things like that very well. Um, the interception, one of the, the first interception he got, like, it wasn't even his guy. He had his guy under control. Look, um, peek back through the uh, quarterback to what we call that is um, pressure key, visual key. Had his hands on his pressure key, visual, uh, see, see, uh, runs with him vertically, uh, looks back through the quarterback. That's his visual key. He's able to come off of that once the quarterback, what they call pull the pins, arm goes back, throwing it forward. He comes off of his guy and robs a route that was not even nearly intended for his guy. Like, we're talking about that type of ability from this guy. And then just the mindset. And these are the things you just can't teach, right? You can teach technique, right? We can improve on that. But can we, you know, teach somebody to be an alpha male? Somebody to, you know, after his pro day, tell everybody, like, I'm the standard? Like, you know, um, somebody that walked into South Carolina and as a true freshman was the alpha male in the room and was the leader of a secondary as a true freshman at an SEC school? Like, you're kind of different. Well, you're wired different when you're like that. So um, I like him a, a lot. You know, if I, I'm going more towards tears in this class, but if I had to pick one corner to go to war with, it would definitely be J.C. Horn. Absolutely. And, you know, the big talking point in the preseason was J.C. Horn, Israel, Mukwamu, both corners that were getting some round one hype. Mukwamu I think Izzy you know, had more love than J.C. Horn to start yeah, off with. I think so as well. That size and frame is definitely enticing. I just want to get your thoughts on Mukwamu real quick. I, I know you don't have him in your tiers, but do you think that in the NFL, you know, maybe in a in a cover two type system or something, maybe where he's in Indianapolis where he can kind of rely on that zone capability, what do you think his projection is in the NFL? And do you think he can find some success as a starter even early in his career? Yeah, he's he's just a little bit longer. Um, we'll see. You know, I've seen some people mention him like as somebody that might end up being like a safety. Uh, you know, I, I think he, he, his movements are a little long and obviously like that's to be expected for somebody that's like six foot four. Um, you would like to see, you know, I, I think he has good movement skills for somebody his size, but it's, it's just his movement skills. They're, they're just a little long for me. So he would be more of a day three pick for me. And that's not to say that he can't be good or won't be an NFL starter. That's just kind of where I, I, I would pick him. Like early day three, I wouldn't have any issues. Maybe even late day two. Absolutely. And we're going to talk about my slot cornerback rankings real quick. It's tough to find them into the you know outside corner ranks. So these are the guys that if you're looking for a slot corner, probably day two for a lot of these guys, maybe even day three. These are the options that I like most. At number five, we got Zach McPherson out of Texas Tech. I think he's a great zone coverage guy. Can play in the slot, can play outside if you need him to. Has a size, has special teams experience. I think on day three, especially after his testing, he is going to be a very good pick that sticks around for quite some time. At number four, I got Aaron Robinson out of Central Florida. I think this is a guy that, you know, is a very smooth operator, one that maybe isn't the shiftiest, isn't the most explosive type of corner, but is definitely going to contribute and be just a dependable slot type option. Great tackler, great physicality. Was at Alabama getting playtime, went to UCF, continued to be a star for them. Keep an eye out for Aaron Robinson if you're looking for a slot corner and think your team could potentially pick one in that second, third round. With number three, I got Elijah Molden out of Washington. I love the versatility here for these top three guys. I think Elijah Molden, the frame is definitely going to be the concern, but I think overall he's a 
firecracker of a player. You know, he he fires into the backfield. He fires into tackles. The effort's never going to be a problem. He's quick-footed. I think, you know, as long as he can continue to build on that, he's going to be a very solid slot corner at the NFL level. At number two, Sean Wade, someone that I think I project best at the strong safety position. Let him really get to work with his aggressive play style. Drop him down to slot corner when you need. Outside this season, had his struggles. Definitely, you know, probably not best to be playing outside, especially at the NFL level. Probably wasn't good to have him at the college level, but still answered some questions, got us some clarity. So it is good in the long term for us. But Sean Wade, I think, is someone that, you know, you put him at strong safety, you put him moving around from strong safety to uh, slot receipt or slot corner, sorry, and he's going to have some great success. And then number one, Kerry Vincent Jr. out of LSU. You know, watching this guy, it was just phenomenal. He was. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to curse on here, so I'll just say he was a jerk. You know, to quarterbacks, he was just so hilarious in some of his moves. I think Kellen Mond was getting pressured, and he threw the ball out of bounds, way out of bounds. wasn't even close. And Kerry Vincent came charging into the Texas A&M sideline, saying like acting like he was going to make a play on the ball. They all got mad at him. I don't know. I just love that energy. I love that ability. And I think on the field, there's just so much that he does. He's a fluid mover. He's quick. He's a great tackler. I'm I'm all in on Kerry Vincent Jr. If you're looking for a slot corner, I think he's the top guy in this class. Eric, what are your thoughts on this slot corner class? And really, how much do you value the versatility out of the position for guys like Sean Wade and Elijah Molden? Yeah, so I, I haven't watched uh, McPherson yet. And I, so, and I, yeah, I haven't watched McPherson yet at all. I've watched the other guys. I've watched Aaron Robinson, Molden. Wade, Vincent, for sure. I've studied more of Moden, Wade, and a little bit of Robinson. Vincent, I still have to get to, but I have watched him, like, you know, especially like him playing against uh, Oklahoma, against CeeDee Lamb, and like I've seen him. Um, I, I like your rankings. Sean Wade, I'm not, I'm not as high on him. Um, I, I thought really watching him, I thought he was better suited to play outside corner. That was before this last year. I'm just like, when everybody was like, oh, he's just this great shutdown slot and he's going to be the, the the number one CB next year. So I watched him like, I don't see that. Like, I see somebody that just isn't getting challenged a whole lot because of a lot of the competition in the Big Ten and, you know, from the slot. So he wasn't guarding guys that were really going to challenge his movement skills. I didn't care for his feet. I didn't care for his change of direction. And then – um, I was like, you know, he'd probably be better suited on the outside. And then he kind of got ate up on the outside. Then I'm like, damn, I don't know where he plays, <laughs> you know. And the crazy thing, I mean, he got ate up, in my opinion. And we watched him against Clemson just kind of get destroyed by Powell. But he – and then he went to the national championship. Obviously got, like, destroyed by uh, uh, Devontae Smith. But he won, like, defensive back of the year in this conference. And, I, yeah, so I was like, okay, that's that's random. But it's not off of his, him as a prospect. Um, as a prospect, I just thought he was a little too slow-footed. There were certain reps against Devontae Smith where it, it's like, well, is Sean Wade hurt? Like, why does he look like he's jogging? But, like, I think, like, he just got his soul taken. And it was just like, man, I just got ate up last week by the Powell dude. And it's like, who is Powell? And he was putting him in the spin cycle. And then, yeah, so slot outside, because I think outside is easy, is easier than slot. I didn't think he had the movement skills on the outside. So I, I think you started off, you're you saying it's probably better suited to be like a strong safety or something like that, or like a free safety, maybe make a transition like uh, like Jenkins, Malcolm Jenkins did back in the day when he was coming out of Ohio State. 
there might be something there for him. But um, I'm, I'm still interested, and I, I got to dive into this film even more. I watched him against uh, Rondell Moore, and it was like, oh, my gosh. Like, Rondell Moore was just killing him, like killing him. <laughs> and that was in the slot. So, I, I, yeah, I'm kind of – I'm not as high on Sean Wade. And I think maybe I, I view it like that because of people telling me that he was the best corner in this class, you know, heading into this year. And so when you are, when you have those type of expectations, but then you go to the film and it's like, you know, maybe I'm being overly critical because of what I was expecting to see. But yeah, I mean, Elijah Moore, I like him a lot more than I like Sean Wade. Now he's not the prospect that Sean Wade was coming out of high school. So maybe he has that kind of going against him, right? Where Sean, Sean Wade was probably like a five-star, can't miss the next guy coming out of Ohio State. But I definitely like Elijah Moden more. Absolutely. And we're going to bring up Eric Crocker's tier list right now. We made a graphic for it, little pyramid-type tiers. And, Eric, we'd love to get your thoughts. We are trying to rush through through safety, so uh, sorry to cut you off a little bit, but we're going to try to make it quick. So here's Eric Crocker's tier list for the cornerback position. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'll just run through this real quick. You know, and the way I look at it is these, these are guys that I just wouldn't mind – you know, having and, you know, kind of depending on the, the spot. So obviously, like, no surprise at the top with J.C. Horn, Sertain, uh, Farley, uh, Newsom. I, I just – I like a lot of their games. If somebody told me that Farley was the best rece- the best corner in the NFL in three years, wouldn't be surprised. I think he possesses that type of ability. Um, Sante Samuel, Tyson Campbell in that second tier, really like their games. I think um, they bring really good day two value, maybe even back in day one value. And then, obviously, Eric Stokes with the big-time trades. Elijah Moden, really like him in the nickel and that type of uh, that type of space. Um, and maybe he can add some safety value, maybe. Uh, Kelvin Joseph, I actually like a lot of his movement skills, ability, like everything that he possesses, but thought his eyes were so bad and it made the rest of his game really uh, inconsistent. And then Elijah Griffin, uh, you know, son of Warren G. He, I think his film is a little underrated. Maybe this is a little high for him, like being in the tier three ahead of maybe some other guys I probably could have put there. But I just kind of wanted to bring some like notoriety to a guy where I don't think he got enough respect for what he did in the Pac-12. I thought he played extremely well in every game. He was scrappy. I thought he played off well. He's like a he's like a a big dog on the field, like a little well, like a little dog, like one of those little aggressive dogs. You know, he's like one of those. Um, I really liked his game as well. So. Yeah, that, that's kind of my tier right there, how I kind of break it down and kind of the thing there. I don't want to say the order I would draft guys in, but like kind of the, the range I would take guys in. I got you. I'm a big fan of Elijah Griffin's tape as well. I think he came in at cornerback 11 for me. But in the top 10, both mine and Nick's, we're going to bring him up right now. Nick, just give us your thoughts on this cornerback class and really what your opinions are. At number 10 for me, I got Rodarius Williams, Ifietu Malfonwu, Kelvin Joseph, Eric Stokes, Caleb Farley. Caleb Farley, Greg Newsom, Sante Samuel, Tyson Campbell, Tyson Campbell, Patrick Sertain, and J.C. Horn. Nick, talk us through your top ten and really your thoughts on this class. Yeah, I mean, you got the big boys at the top. Uh, Greg uh, Newsom at one. I like it. I'm telling you, that was my favorite film. But go ahead. Sorry to cut you off. Yeah, I think I think it would be great for the Bears to keep Newsom in Illinois. I think they can definitely use him. But you know, I just wanted to make a point here on Aaron Robinson. So. You know, typically everyone thinks he's a, you know the slot guy, but if you look into the numbers, he's not your typical slot receiver. 
Uh, in fact, this past season, 187 of his 339 coverage snaps actually came in press coverage, which is pretty much a rarity for a slot corner. So to me, that kind of makes him very valuable more so than the other slot guys. And that kind of makes me think that his skills can certainly translate to the outside if need be, depending on scheme there. Uh, but you know, I think I think there's a lot of talent in this draft. Uh, we didn't really talk too much about Farley, but you know, his I think I think because of his back surgery, that's really the only thing that's keeping him from potentially being coming into here as the top cornerback in the in the in the draft. Uh, the last time we saw him was 2019, uh, and you know he really has elite closing speed downfield and can easily affect the catch point of a lot of balls. Uh, good size, six foot two, 207 pounds. Yeah, and you know, Caleb Farley. I think this cornerback class, really, that first six for me is really a tier above. I like Stokes. I like Joseph. I like Melfonu. You know, Rodarius Williams, Elijah Griffin. There's some talented options, but those top six are guys that I really like in terms of first round talents in my mind. Eric, just talk a little bit about Caleb Farley and your opinions because I know you're much higher on him. And just uh, just your overall takeaway for what he can do at the NFL level. Well, I'm I'm, I'm high on the potential, right? The, the traits. I think he possesses some traits that are just, again, you can't. It's hard to teach. Um, you're talking about somebody who you know closes on the ball like Deion Sanders in the air. You know, like th- those are those are things like you kind of either have that or you don't. And most people don't have it. I think he has a certain to, uh, twitch and burst to him, getting out of his breaks that is exceptional. And again, that's something else that you just can't teach. Now, there's a lot of inconsistencies to his game, right? Like maybe bad eyes, maybe bad technique. You could tell that he's a little newer to the cornerback position. I think he was a quarterback in high school or something like that and, and went to Virginia Tech as a receiver. The next thing you know, he's playing cornerback. So he's fairly new to the position. Obviously, has missed a ton of time because of injuries. Um, you know, his press technique was a little inconsistent because they didn't do a whole lot of press. So that's something that he's going to have to get a little bit more used to. But if you're just looking at, just pure upside. like, And that was when I, when I said, you know, if you're talking about in three years, if you were to say, hey, Caleb Farley is the best corner in the NFL, I wouldn't be surprised because he has those type of elite traits. Now, he's going to have to work really hard to get there. And maybe going through some of this draft process and, and, and people dropping them off boards or whatever because of injuries puts a chip on his shoulder and he works harder than anybody else. And he reaches that that uh, that little uh, that milestone. But we'll, we'll see what he ends up being. I'm a little down on him only because of the injuries. and But like I said, like the, the things that he possesses, you can't teach. The, the, the areas where he needs to improve, you can teach. So we'll, we'll see where he ends up going. Absolutely. Now we got to get moving to the safety spot. And we see number six on Nick's list, Javon Holland. He's my safety five. I know that's a little low compared to the consensus. I think he's a great coverage guy, but I think there's some issues in terms of run game. Uh, I messed up and put the comparison that I used for James Wiggins here. So it's not Daron Harmon for Javon Holland. I think really what you see out of him, though, is just overall coverage skills. I think he's great athletically. I think he's got a great ability to really process in the pass game. But the issue processing that I have listed is in the run game. You know, sometimes I didn't love his angles. I think he worked into traffic instead of taking away the outside. And I think in terms of being that hybrid safety, that's something that's going to need work. And hopefully, you know, Javon Holland is able to continue to grow in terms of he's got a great frame, 6'1", 200 pounds. Uh, some of the, some of this info on here is James Wiggins' info, who's my safety for. So I apologize for that. But overall, Javon Holland is a extremely enticing, versatile option that can play strong safety, can play free safety, can play the slot. And you know, Eric, I'd love to get your thoughts on him. 
Yeah, I'm surprised that you didn't like some of his tackling and his angles and stuff, man. I thought he was like a great open field tackler. Um, I thought he did a really good job of, of not giving up leak yardage. I hated how Oregon used him, like really as a nickel guy. And I'm like, well, he's not really like a nickel. Like, you know what I'm saying? But that's kind of how they used him, like a nickel, like a star position, kind of like how uh, Minka Fitzpatrick was used. I thought Minka Fitzpatrick had just better natural cover skills. But that's not to say Javon Holland could not cover. I thought he did a really good job of making plays on the ball. Um, I just thought that they they used him in off coverage against freakier guys a little too much, and I wouldn't have done that. I'm intrigued to see him as somebody that is more of a two-high or single-high safety or somebody that plays more around the box. In my comparison, I compared him to Jaquiski Tart, somebody who has that type of versatility as well where he plays really good in the box, around the line of scrimmage, really good tackler, takes good angles, open field tackler, really good. But also, Tart gives you that single high uh, versatility, which he didn't do a whole lot for San Francisco, but he has done it enough to where you see that he, he can be really good at that. There was definitely a lot to like about Javon Holland. I hate that you said that again because I used that comparison for someone else that's in the safety ranks. Uh, <laughs> at safety four, though, the guy that I did actually compared to Deron Harmon, James Wiggins, I get the age concern. He's 24, but I think that overall he's a great clutch player. He makes great plays on the ball. You know, I'm not just talking 24. About Is he about to be 25? Uh, or he's going to be 24 by uh, draft day. Sorry. Okay. So, okay. Uh, yeah, but um, 23 right now, turning 24 very shortly. So that's a little bit of a concern, obviously. But at the same time, you know, I think he's got great athleticism, obviously great testing. He has great closing speed, and I think I love that about him. And really, I think he plays the ball extremely well. I'm not just talking about the interceptions they had last year, but I'm talking about just overall his ability to get there and contest the catch point, make plays in coverage. You know, there's some questions about his durability due to injuries, the age concern like we talked about, and just overall missed tackles. I think I compare him to Deron Harmon, someone that maybe isn't viewed as highly as they should be, a versatile safety that can play both spots and really succeed well. Um, Deron Harmon is someone that, as a Patriots fan, I have a lot more appreciation for. James Wiggins, though, is someone that I'm really high on in this class. Eric, I'd love your thoughts on James Wiggins if you, if you have as much. Uh, I know he's kind of lower on, on probably your radar out. No, I haven't watched Wiggins just yet, so I don't have much on him. But I will say, just watching Cincinnati, watching them in bowl games, watching them against Georgia, um, I watched several games of them because I was watching the quarterback, Desmond Ritter, when I thought he was coming out. I thought their secondary was tremendous. Thought between him – the defensive back, uh, Kobe Bryant, thought he played extremely well. I thought there was a lot to like about the, the Cincinnati uh, defensive backfield. And I want to say their defensive coordinator left and got like a, a power five school um, job, I think. So that kind of speaks to maybe how good that secondary was and, and that they helped him get a job, if, that, if that's really the case. Absolutely. And, you know, there's also other guys from the Cincinnati Secondary that's going to be in this draft, Derek Forrest, someone that I had as safety 11, I believe, maybe 12, someone that's very talented. But now the Jaquiski Tart comparison for myself, Jacoby Stevens. And, you know, this year, all this year, it was frustrating to watch the 22, all 22 tape that I had on him because it was a Mississippi State game and they had him pretty much playing defensive tackle, just blitzing the entire time. But what I saw in coverage from 2019 made me extremely high on him. I think that he's versatile enough to play split zone safety very well. I think he's got great frame. Obviously, if you want to play linebacker, you can do that. He can set the edge. He's got some issues in terms of just overall agility skills. He's not maybe the most athletically gifted type of player, 
Um, you know, there's some issues processing still in the past game that I think need some work. But Jacoby Stevens is someone that I think is a fluid enough mover, has the aggression and versatility that you kind of see out of the, you know, Cameron Curls and Jeremy Chins that are finding success early in the NFL. And I think Jacoby Stevens could be right on that track. Eric, if, if you've watched Jacoby Stevens, I'd love to get your thoughts on him and just overall what his versatility could project to in the NFL. I haven't watched him just yet, but I will say if he plays anything like Jaquiz Guitar, that's a really good football player. And I will say if you got number seven on at LSU, you they, they think highly of you. <laughs> so th- those are all definitely pluses. Definitely, yeah, he got some good size. That is Tart type size. Tart was like 6'2", 220 pounds or something like that. Big dude, but yeah, I like that. And at safety two, I got Trayvon Morg, 6'1", 202 pounds, 30 and 5 eighths inch arms, two interceptions over the year, has very good range. I think one thing that's kind of happened is he's kind of gotten slept on a little bit in terms of his overall range. I think he's capable of playing single high. He can drop down and play some run support. I compared him to the, you know, pre-fall off HaHa Clinton Dix, and I think that's kind of the skill set that you're getting with him. I think there's some issues in terms of just overall agility. Kind of gets out of control sometimes when he's working deep that allows some of these deep plays, but I think overall he's got the athleticism to make it work. Definitely needs some growth, but I think there's something special here with Trevon Morg. Eric, I'd love your thoughts on Trevon Morg and what you think he could be in this class, probably the most likely safety to go day one if any of them do. Yeah, I, I like Morg, man. You know, just watching him, he's one of those guys that are kind of like fits the modern game, his ability to, you know, be able to um, play in space. They did a lot of – like cover four match type stuff where essentially he's kind of manned up on guys on the island. I thought he did a really good job of turning and running with guys. There were times where he did a good job of staying square, being able to break down on passes and challenge them at the catch point and break up passes. I want to say it was him that I was watching Rondell Moore run a post route and he just like took the post, took the ball out of Rondell Moore's hands. Like he intercepted the ball. I thought he was just going to break up the pass. Next thing you know, he picked it off. So you're talking about somebody that definitely has the ability to play um, in space very well, make plays on the ball. His movement skills were good. He was a fluid guy. I think I was, I think I saw or I heard uh, Chris Sims like kind of talk about him as if like, oh no, he's a cornerback. And I'm like, no, like he's a safety, but he's just kind of a more hybrid new style safety that is a little bit more kind of do it all type guy. Yeah. They played him as like a cover four safety. So they, they did a lot of man match, like a, a lot of match stuff with him, but I, I, I liked a lot of his ability. Yeah, I'm a big fan as well. Excited about what he can do at the NFL level. But safety one for me is Richie Grant out of Central Florida. I feel like these guys always get overlooked whenever it comes to the NFL. You know, you look at guys like Antoine Winfield last year, just absolutely huge impact player. And I think Richie Grant kind of brings that versatility as well. He can play corner if you need him. He can play safety both spots. He can split the field. I think he has the athleticism to have the range and really play single high if needed. You know, there's some issues in terms of maybe his overall shiftiness, some unit concerns because there were some deep plays allowed by Central Florida's defense, and he's supposed to be the leader of that secondary. So, you know, some of the blame falls on him for that. And, you know, there's some misfires in tackling, but overall I think there's plenty of potential here. I have a B2 grade for him, so maybe the safety class doesn't have as much, you know, upside right away out the gates as a traditional safety class where there's maybe a Derwin or a Minka Fitzpatrick, but still – very high on Richie Grant. think he's going to be a very good starter, probably out the gates. Three interceptions, five pass deflections in just nine games. I'd love to get your thoughts on Richie Grant and what he can be at the NFL level. You know, I spent more time watching uh, Tay Gowan and Aaron Robinson. I haven't watched a whole lot of Richie Grant. 
Um, I've seen some highlights. And, and when I say highlights, because I don't watch highlights, but I've just seen maybe people talking about him on TV or talking about him on Twitter. And I've seen some of the big hits and like his closing speed and ability from that standpoint. And I know that looked intriguing. He's probably somebody that I'll get to once I see like where his landing spot is in the draft and then kind of go from there. But definitely like just off of the little that I have seen, I did. I definitely thought that at least the, the clips that I've seen made him look like a versatile safety. Absolutely. And we're going to bring up these safety rankings for me and Nick Durst. For number six, I have Andre Sisko. Number seven, Tyree Gillespie. Number eight, Caden Stearns. Number nine, Jamie and Sherwood out of Auburn. And number 10, Ashari Crosswell, a guy that I think is flying under the radar. Very talented. Had some issues at Arizona State. Didn't get along with coaching staff as well. Got suspended indefinitely. Missed some time. But overall, there's plenty of talent here. Nick has his rankings. Number one, Jamar Johnson. Number two, Elijah Molden. Number three, Richie Grant. Number four, Trevon Morg. Number five, Ardarius Washington. Number six, Jamie and Sherwood. Number seven, Andre Sisko. Number eight, Divine Diablo. Number nine, Christian Uphoff. And number 10, Tyree Gillespie. Nick, talk about your list a little bit and some guys that you like in this class. Yeah, well, Johnson, uh, I think he gets overlooked sometimes. He's pretty special on high-end coverage plays. You will find a safety with a better ball production per snap in the class. 406 career coverage snaps, picked off seven passes, broke up six others. Uh, just don't ask to play him in the box. His liability as a tackler missed 13 of his 49 mm-hmm. attempts. Uh, but, you know, as far as coverage goes, I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty solid, pretty spectacular when you're looking at things. Uh, and, you know, TCU, they got some good guys there. I uh, see him right there in my rankings. Uh, I know you're not very high on, on Washington, uh, Michael, but I think, uh, you know, Washington, maybe he's not even 180 pounds, but he, cause he plays bigger than he's listed as, than his size. And over the past two years, he earned, uh, you know, he, he earned his uh, reputation. He allowed only 15 catches on 35 targets in coverage. So I know we're up against the time, so I'll, I'll leave it there for now. Yeah, and uh, Eric, if there is a safety in this class that you feel is maybe a little bit underappreciated, maybe it's from our ranks or just overall from the consensus media, is there some guy you want to shout out in this defensive backs class that we didn't get to talk about today? Oh, safety. Um, or corner, either one. Just someone yeah, that you I, feel I, like. I think, I think we did overall a good job of covering everybody. I think Benjamin St. Juice, um, he's somebody that could potentially be a day two pick. Um, long corner, I think he moves well, has good hips, good feet. Uh, talk about, you know, guys that are, be, you know, versi- versatile, um, him being able to play, uh, you know, off coverage as well as press, you know, for his size. I thought that was good. So um, he's somebody I can definitely see be like, you know, a day two pick and, and uh, carve out a role as, you know, a starting quarterback at some point in the NFL. Absolutely. And thank you so much, Eric Crocker. Thank you to everyone that's here in the comment section or LandryFootball.com for giving us the platform to talk about all things NFL draft. We're Destination Draft Day. We'll see you on Monday. Take care, everyone, and have a good weekend.